Welcome to Beyond Infinity, Piers Cunningham, joined by Ian Storey, lecturer in information systems at the University of Torrens. G'day, Ian. Great to have you back. Hi, Piers. Always fun. It, it is, and this time is a particularly interesting subject because it's just every day we're finding more and more about the implications that, that flow from this, and, and I'm, I'm talking about artificial intelligence. And a lot of our listeners may have seen ChatGPT, which is a, a free service you can get through OpenAI. You need to register for it, and you can pay, I think you can pay $20 a year and get the, uh, the latest version, which has even more capability. But the thing about uh, ChatGPT is it does uh, open the door to, uh, to getting very useful information collated for you and written up in, in language that's very readable. And I guess that's one of the big, the big advances in AI, at least as far as ChatGPT is concerned, is that the readability that the AI is creating. Just as an example, I asked uh, ChatGPT, you know, what was the big deal about AI and uh, it said and I won't go I won't read the whole thing but it uh, it said automation and efficiency AI technology can automate and streamline a wide range of tasks and processes improving efficiency and productivity across various industries Uh, it goes on to say there are also concerns about the impact of AI on society such as job displacement and the ethical implications of AI decision making therefore it is important to carefully consider the potential benefits and drawbacks so you're getting something written up in language that's pretty hard to even as a you know someone who writes a bit and, and edits material often uh, it, it's pretty hard to do any better than this this chat GPT is coming up with so a very powerful tool there just as one example as a science journalist you must find it an incredibly useful tool as an academic I also find it very very useful um, one of the first things I would say is that this is a version of AI. So AI is really, um, it's a first evolution of AI, I guess you could say. Mm. So um, it's been named AI as if it's the only kind there is. It's currently the only kind there is, and it's really absolutely amazing. Just to give a bit of background as to what it is, it's based on neuronal networks. And I remember reading about these way back in the 70s, 80s, in the, you know, Scientific American magazine. And not, not artificial neurons, but real neurons. And they were hooking up artificial arms and giving receptors just straight into the arm socket, you know, of people, of amputees. Mm. And the amputees were learning to use the mechanical arm. Mm. And so everyone was amazed and I was amazed. And this thing was using the intelligence of our real neurons, you know, inside our bodies. Mm. And we don't know how, but eventually it picks up through just being successful at some tasks rather than others, how to move the arm. Mm. Now, it took a long time, and I don't think it was perfect, not as perfect as it would be if you grew up with the arm. Yep. But people were thinking, well, if we could duplicate that, imagine what we could do. I remember reading the article thinking if we could duplicate that. Yep. So what, what they've 
done is they've de- developed systems called neural nets and they copy how neurons work. So neurons have inputs and outputs, right? Dendrites and all sorts of weird and wonderful biological stuff, you know, messy biological stuff. And the data comes in and it's sort of added up and negated and then it will fire. And that firing will become output that goes to the inputs of other neurons. Uh, There's a sigmoid function, which means that it sort of fires... Uh, it either fires or not, kind of. It does have a rate of firing. Mm. So they've programmed up computers to have pretend, you know, virtual neurons, and they add up actual numbers. So the numbers are are used as levels of activity, copies of levels of activity for actual neurons. And these things also learn. And <laughs> they learn really really well Mm. and over the years they've they've started to categorize them as well so some can do deep learning some can do short and long term you know there's all kinds of categories of of neural nets Mm. and they've made it into a bit of a science at the same time big data techniques have come along and of course computing power has come along and that has made it possible to gather huge amounts of data really quickly and process it really quickly. Big data, in fact, I'm designing a course around it. It's new in the universities, um, well, you know, relatively. The -hmm. techniques that that are being used, they're just burgeoning, a huge number of techniques. Mm -hmm. Those techniques that are good for decision-making Uh, business decision making you know how do I sell you something that you don't know you want yet you know that kind of business decision making (laughs) which we've talked about before is now becoming sort of how do I teach it things how do I get it to just do the hard work of learning based on the huge amount of data that's coming past my computer you know that's coming through our network Mm. so Google has married this with neural networks and they've got it to be able to trawl through lots and lots of data but also learn how to speak to people to parse sentences. Mm. Noam Chomsky talks about it. No, it's not intelligent. It's just processing text, (laughs) which is absolutely true. But doing it really Um, well, doing it in a very readable way. Absolutely. Doing mm. it in a way that feels like you're talking to a human. Yep. Um, yeah. But it's just based on, on, on text. However, it's amazing. It has the flexibility of natural neurons. Essentially, you're saying, by the sound of things, that this, this, this idea of a neural network came out originally from, from you know, going back to the example you gave of, of a, a robotic arm, a, a prosthetic arm replacing someone who's an amputee's arm, real arm, and and how they could they could actually plug into existing nerve endings, and over time the person could learn how to make the the artificial arm move for them using their brains. So so it's kind of mimicking a natural process that happens in the human body, and then applying that 
uh, taking advantage of, of fast processing and all the advances in, in computers science that have happened in more recent times? Well, the, the example of the mechanical arm was an inspiration to me. Mm. And I can't remember if the article mentioned it as an inspiration as well. But um, it wasn't long after that that people were building artificial neural networks mm. and other kinds, of, other kinds of systems, but the computers were just too slow. Mm-hmm. In fact, they're still a bit too slow. And what is interesting is that there is one researcher that I read about who has analog electronic, you know, not not physic, not like the human body, but electronics, analog tr- electronics that copies neurons and does it with a lot, lot less energy and activity rather mm. than counting up all the numbers and adding them up and all of that sort of stuff. It does it in an analog way. Mm. The interesting thing about that is because it's analog and each transistor is slightly different, it, if you train one and then you train another, it'll be slightly different like people are different. Right. Mm. And different based on their experience. Mm. With the digital ones, you could program it up, save a copy of what it's learned, put it into a billion other computers, and they would have all learned the same thing. Mm. Which which is scary, right? Uh, imagine me being able to put well, you being able to put even better, you being able to put your brain into my head. <laughs> um, <laughs> but that's what they can do, but not with these with these ones which are analog rather than digital, which I think is interesting. You know, currently it's the it's the digital ones that are winning by far. Yeah, and there are also, and you'd know about this, there's a, another, so one of the, the big people behind this, so the founder of OpenAI, which is ChatGPT, is Elon Musk, who seems to have his finger in every pie you can imagine. Another company that he's got is, is doing that brain interface, which is, which is literally putting a, a, a receptor or, or wiring in directly into the brain, into, into nerve endings inside the brain and tapping into neurons and developing a brain interface and that's part partly the idea that we already have a brain interface which is which is our phone but we have the actual interface is very clumsy because it's our thumbs and fingers which we use to type or input data into the phone or we can actually use our voices now which um, which has improved a lot voice recognition but to be able to you know to integrate even more tightly you know, like you're saying, if you could, if I could put my brain into yours, then we would completely understand each other. It's like the mobile phone was this um, this kind of confluence of technologies, a, a um, concentration into one device. You're getting the same sort of thing happening with artificial intelligence. It's 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 bringing in um, a whole bunch of technologies and concentrating them. I get that feeling. Yeah, it, it was neural networks that were trained to recognise voice. I think even Kurzweil way back in the eighties. Uh, sorry, that's going the wrong way. Um, text-to-speech was, was one of the early ones that he was involved in. But speech-to-text was very, very tricky, and everyone knows that because we do it all the time and it miscalculates all the time. Yeah. But it um, it used neural networks to train the computers how to hear speech and transfer it into text. Mm. That's a typical application, mm. recognition. Mm. But the matter of having the implants inside your head, um, I often joke that I really want Google 
in my head so that I look smarter than I really am. <laughs> because I'll know every answer to every question. How you see, good you, would that you be? wouldn't look any smarter, you'd just be smarter. So you, <laughs> I'd so be you, smarter. So you want a you want a heads up you want a heads up display, you know, and, and that was actually something that Google well, was developing, I'm, which no, was called Google even, Glass. Even better, straight into my visual cortex. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The only trouble is that unless you're super rich, you probably have to suffer a huge bank of ads every 10 minutes. <laughs> yeah, no, that'll be, be annoying, won't it? <laughs> They'll have to monetize it, and that'll be the way they monetize it. It's making, <laughs> sure. making, you, making you pay for the ad-free version. So just to, uh, to re- uh, remind listeners, the, the company I'm talking about, actually, with the, the brain interface is called Neuralink. Neuralink, and uh, you can read up on that if you're interested. But that uh, they've done all sorts of things. They've actually trained a monkey. They've wired up a monkey to play Pong using using its brain. So the monkey's sitting in front of a screen, and it's got the two little cursors of the old game of Pong with the ball going between the cursors across the screen. And the monkey, no hands, hands free, is is directing the, the paddles to keep the ball bouncing between them with its brain. Yes, I mean, we're learning amazing things. And it's a little bit like, you know, Frankenstein monster, um, you know, the mad scientist. Um, (laughs) But, I mean, seriously, into the future, if we do start to get conscious machines Mm. and we're fiddling around with consciousness connecting to human brains, or not even connecting to human brains, but fiddling around with what they're perceiving and their concept of self... Mm, mm. Um, it starts to get scary, quite mm. scary to me. Mm. And you know, who knows what's possible? But um, well, certainly, just just putting a neural link in has some of these implications, some of these scary implications as well. Absolutely, and we'll look. We'll come to some of these things, but they include. I mean, we've seen the way that dr- drones have been used in warfare in Ukraine. And, and it's becoming a, a very, very uh, important tool and it's being recognised by militaries all around the world, not just those that are involved in, in, in the Ukraine conflict, as the way of the future. Unquestionably, there are, there are battle robots that are being developed for sort of on-the-ground use to replace your foot soldier who's, who's fighting hand, potentially hand-to-hand on the ground. Uh, then you've got these... Uh, these very smart drones that, that can do a lot of, uh, that are very they effective. Can, they uh, can have them in swarms as well. Yep. And they all communicate with each other, little tiny ones. There was yeah. a movie, yep. brilliant movie, I can't remember what the name of it was, uh, featuring these kind of drones. And they'd be absolutely formidable, even though each drone would be you know, a little larger than an insect in its own. Yep, and they use them, you've probably seen those uh, formation flying, they use them for, like fireworks mm. for for yeah, uh, you know, yeah. light shows. So they can do amazing things with them. Getting back to companies that are using AI, mm. there's a bit of a rush, isn't there? And I'm not really up with all of the um, all of the developments, but Google, Microsoft mm. are definitely uh, facing off over AI. Mm. Um, Google is talking about using AI behind its wonderful search engine. Yeah. To improve it even further. Yep. And they're talking, I don't know if any of you have um, Apple um, devices, but Siri is just hopeless. I must say, Siri was designed as a kind of 
personal data assistant, you mm. know, where's the next hotel? How do I find a cinema? What restaurants are around that? It's really good with those kind of questions. Mm. Mm. And they, cre- they curate, I should say, those kind of questions. So only curated questions are allowed in Siri. Shouldn't mm. say that name too loudly, <laughs> but they're they're talking about putting AI behind it, and I'm kind of looking forward to that because it's absolutely hopeless. Who is who is the lead actor in this movie? You know, some obvious trivial question, mm. and it goes off and can't find the answer. Here is something I found. You know, mm, yeah, um, it's, it doesn't work perfectly, but but partly um, it. it is it's about like like with search it's it's about getting the question right you know i'll often for example be sitting watching a movie and i want to know how old is that actor so it's funny how yeah. that question that question is is, it, is one that you ask and probably ask it more the older you get yourself but yeah, but th- th- that'll right. be but that'll be something that 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 it will often get right i mean i'll just as long as you pronounce the name right you know because it knows that there's there's a finite number of well-known actors i find sometimes you have to speak like the you have to use the Queen's English. Uh, yeah. Set a timer for fifty-five minutes. You know that kind of thing. And, and I've been and told off by it. I've I've sort of muttered something under my breath of oh, you know that's <laughs> totally hopeless answer or whatever. And uh, and it'll go. You know, um, I, I I will not respond to that. It'll give you quite well, a terse terse sort of quite a few um, of reprimand. my friends. You know, a lot of a lot of people in academia from overseas, and they they complain that it just won't recognise their accent at all. Just won't mm. recognise it. Interesting. Um, mm. So it should become more more subtle mm. with AI. You know something. Um, it's slightly related. I know someone who's just moved to Spain, and they they deliberately switched their phone to Spanish before they left, so that they could get more practice using the uh, you know with the language. Oh. And so so maybe the person who's got a problem with their accent could perhaps switch to a different language on their phone, or you can even choose different. Uh, accents of English. You can hear. You can have a, a an Indian toned voice speaking English, for example. Which I imagine people, you know, the Indian population of Australia, they they may well use English as their sort of predominant language. Kate and I were talking about that that this morning, and I was joking. We need a we need a real Aussie one, not just an Australian one. But you know, one the yeah, yeah, I reckon, mate, uh, <laughs> it's up there in Queensland. <laughs> so. We were talking about the the companies that are getting into this and how it's it, it is now sort of a, a, a space that's being thought about and, and I actually have a friend who, who works for Google and, and he was showing me a video of a speech from the CEO the recently delivered speech to the company the, that's kind of the in joke was just how many times um, the word AI was mentioned in this ten minute speech it was you know it was it was once every once every fifteen seconds that's that just gives a reflection of, of how they are really seeing this as an important space to compete well in. that happens that happens in academia all the time there's the latest flavor and it get it gets mentioned in every you know yeah AI is is the latest thing but as I say I guess we can talk about it is it really AI is it really is it what AI is going to be in the future? You know, it's it's a form of AI. Mm. It's just that it works so well that people are kind of thinking that it's the only kind of AI. That's that's right. It's it's the tip of the iceberg, and 
Well, we can go through some of the different applications. And I suppose this is what people are interested in is, is how is AI going to change the future and shape the future? And, you know, just some examples. Well, just to finish off a little bit on Google, they are apparently integrating uh, a function into their ser image search uh, on Google because you can you can actually use the camera on your phone to take a photo of an object and I was doing this I was putting some stuff up onto Facebook marketplace to sell and if you're not sure about something you know say it's an old coin you want to find the value of an old coin take a photo of it using the Google app using the camera on your phone it goes and searches and tells you what it is you can do the same thing with eBay and, and that's that's just a search function but but because you can now create images and this is something that that you can do with various AI engines on, on the internet now, and a lot of them are free. You can, you can say with words, you know, what does a pearl look like on a beach? And it'll give you an image, combining an image, a pearl and, and a beach, and, and it'll look really good. And, and it's getting better and better, and the paid versions are creating something even better. So when you're searching with Google image search, how do you know the provenance of what you're looking at? Well, Google is integrating software into their search algorithms which will tell you the provenance can't be verified some other way then it will say well this could this could likely be an ai generated image which is you know getting into that whole area of how do you verify it you know are you looking at something real or are you looking at something that's been created with ai i think the issue of of provenance well it's it's actually not new is it because Every time we look up a Google search, we go, oh, that's just a Google search. What is the provenance of it? Or Wikipedia. Um, yep. In academia, we're not uh, supposed to advocate the use of Wikipedia. I actually tell my students, maybe don't use it in your articles, but it gives you a pretty good first pass if you're looking at something new. Absolutely. And you can go into it from there and discover, hang on, this reference isn't quite right. This isn't quite right. I'm starting to learn it, though, and I'm starting to get the idea. This reference is really good. Well, mm. the same thing happens for, for researchers. Uh, must happen in journalism as well, where Google, Wikipedia, and now AI, AI especially, gives you a whole article and gives you references at the bottom of it, not good ones. So it's your it's your duty to go through and check the provenance of it. Yep, yep. It really produces amazing stuff. Mm. Um, so this kind of thing of checking the provenance of these digitally produced, you know, elements. Um, I mean, you can rely on that kind of information if you're trying to sell something and you know bump yourself up on on the um, uh, on the uh, SOE, um, what do they yep. call that? Yeah, the ranking. Yeah, yeah, the ranking. You can rely on it because if it's inaccurate, it's inaccurate maybe five percent of the time. But if mm. we're talking about medicine and it's inaccurate, if we're talking about a scalpel guided by AI. And, and it cuts through your artery, you know, 5% yeah. of the time it's wrong, that's very, very, very dangerous. If we're talking about weapons of war and they're wrong, that's incredibly, incredibly dangerous. Mm. As time goes on, 
the provenance becomes an issue and how believable they are becomes an issue. Yep. How do you as an educator, so you're lecturing in information systems at the University of Torrens, are you coming up against students who are submitting work and you're kind of thinking, gee, this is this is very different from the usual stuff I've had from them. I'm a little bit sus as to whether they've they've had the benefit of they've been helped with with a chat GPT uh, result. Uh, is that something that you're concerned about or, or not? It's something I'm incredibly concerned about. It's not something that I can say I've experienced, but who knows? Hmm. In you know, in setting assignments, there's there's an art to making your assignment hard to hard to gather the necessary information on just using a a wide net, if you know what I mean. Yep. Yep. There has to be some local research done to put it all together. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There's a bit of an art in that. I try to use that as much as possible. Mm. I've noticed assignments that are similar to previous semesters of mine, but I can't say I've noticed AI yet. But that's just to say I haven't noticed it. It's a it's a huge issue though, and people are discussing it in universities. You know, the, there are meetings being called. Uh, to discuss it at all levels, at all levels. Mm. People really want to know about how to get around it. Mm. There are some some people who say you you can only ever now have written exams in front, face-to-face. I've kind of always thought that anyway, but um, the only trouble with that is students learn from doing an assignment that's like the real world. Do you know what I mean? Um, so doing an, a written assignment for students who really want to learn is much more valuable than sitting for an hour in front of a paper with a lot of questions with right or wrong answers. Yeah, they're testing different skills. They're testing different skills. One is performance under exam conditions with a time limit and the other is is sort of without the time limit but where they've got the, I don't know, more freedom, more, more opportunity to actually do better. They're not, they're not yeah, under the pressure. Well, they're not being pressured. I, I say this all the time. I kind of get ignored, but there's two jobs, teaching and testing, grading. Mm. So teaching and grading. And the assignment where they they see themselves in the real world doing the assignment as if they're in the real world is a great teaching tool, not so much a great um, uh, grading tool. So you have to make it into a grading tool, which I which you know you can do with various techniques and now we have to make it into a grading tool that chat gpt can't copy it's getting very very difficult really difficult it's getting complicated there is software <laughs> mm. there is apparently software that can tell right ai yeah. detecting ai ai detecting ai yeah um we'll see how that goes um that would be great if it works mm. So you mentioned medical advances and the risks of, you know, we talked about military applications and obviously there's a very big risk if you had a programmed drone that's armed, that's making decisions itself about whether to attack or not. And there's actually a a YouTube video, I think I shared you the link and I'll post the link with this in the beyondinfinity.com.au when I post this this interview. But uh, that, that amazing company, I think it's owned by Google now, Boston Dynamics, that makes those robot dogs that can jump around and, you know, very scary looking. And they were in that great series, 
the War of the Worlds on SBS recently, uh, a new version of uh, the War of the Worlds, and the aliens had those dogs, those those Boston Dynamics dogs, as their sort of killers. The YouTube video it actually shows human-sized humanoid robots made by Boston Dynamics, which are incredibly tough. Now they can jump, they can do flips, they can. There's a, a, a human handler, if you like, with a bat bashing them from behind while they're basically walking around with a live gun firing at targets. But every so often there'll be a target that'll be a real human. And, and the AI is programmed. And these people who work for Boston Dynamics are, are confident enough that they will stand in the way. So the, 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 the robot's going bang, 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 bang. Oh and then one, one in a row is a real human. Oh they pass on the human and then continue shooting. They, they're hitting the bullseye every time. They're being knocked over. They're being attacked by an, a, a human handler behind with a, with a plank to, to put them off balance. And no one's killed but the, uh, they're hitting the target every time. So incredible what, those, what they're up to, and that's a scary prospect. Well, I've been, I've been saying for years to my students, my um, information security students, cybersecurity, management of information security requires so much trust <laughs> mm. that in my view, the management will have to be overseen by humans to make sure the automated systems don't lose sight of what security mm. really is, you know, um, a sanity mm. check on the, on the systems. I've been saying that for ages, and systems have become mm. more and more automated. So we've had intrusion detection systems, intrusion prevention systems, uh, SAM systems that have like big data systems that put it all together. And now researchers are talking about AI, and I'm sure it's being used in some places. I'm not really sure where, but you know, I, I get the feeling it's being used. So, can you trust it? Yeah. You know, that's another area of of, of trust and accountability goes ah, with humans. the trust hmm. and accountability. Yeah, um, how do you how do you hmm. hold a machine accountable? You're listening to Beyond Infinity. Thanks for listening. Remember to visit our program website, beyondinfinity.com.au, where you'll find our complete back catalogue of over 600 podcasts. That's beyondinfinity.com.au. What are the ethics of, of the machine? And already people are talking about, the well, they've been talking about ethics of possible AI for a long, yep. long time, actually. Personally, my view is that um, when it comes to ethics, the goals of the system are determined by the people who designed the system. You know what I'm saying? So they won't discover some sort of ethical calculus. They'll be subservient to the people who design them. Unless, of course, they start to evolve Skynet kind of consciousness. Mm. You know, which, is, which is not such a crazy uh, um, thing. I mean, we, we, there's, a, there's a thing called Sanctuary AI that has, has a, a humanoid robot called Phoenix. And then there's Tesla, who's has got a robot called Optimus. Um, and then there's also those robots uh, that I was talking about from Boston Dynamics. And these are just three well-known examples that have been publicised. But who knows what isn't being publicised that that militaries are working on. So so there is a there's a whole issue that comes up, and 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 it's accountability, and it's it's do you trust a you know in a real battle battlefield situation? You could, if you allowed something to make 
kill decisions of humans based on AI. So it's autonomous and it's using AI. I mean, where does that lead you? And and the pot- potential for things to, to for mis- for big mistakes to be made and then huge escalations to happen, which which wouldn't otherwise have happened. There's a big area there, which you know, as you say, I think the only the only way you can really make it safe. Safer yeah. is to is to have humans making the decisions. Backtracking a little bit onto the top, mm. topic of cybersecurity, there actually has recently been an attack which uses AI, um, and the attack uses AI to be able to convert your voice into somebody else's right. voice. Right. You may have deep, seen on, d- deep on fake. the internet people copying. Yeah, deep fake people copying yep. Joe Rogan and that kind of thing. The attacker trains the system. It only takes 30 seconds. Trains the system to recognise their voice and then calls up someone. So say they call up uh, somebody's mum, um, you know, maybe somebody who's relatively old, like 70. They say, oh, help, help, I'm being held hostage. They've taken my phone. Please answer, you know, pay into this account because it's their secure account, such and such an amount of money. Help, help in the voice of their son or their daughter. Really Mm. nasty stuff. You know, this is not Mm. a victimless crime. Mm. You know, it's really nasty. Because the the amount of angst that they create, you know, what does what does the person do? Mm. Well what would Mm. you do? I I was talking to my mother in law and she she said, Oh, she Mm. wouldn't involve the police. I said, Well, the chances are if you get a call like that, it's from a Mm from a scammer I would call Mm. the police in that case Uh, but she was adamant no if it's if it's your son who's at risk you just pay the money there's got there's got to be questions that you could ask you know to verify who they are which which would probably trip them trip up the AI or the you know the people who are trying to scam you you know something that they can't know what what was your what was your first telephone number? You know all those sort of those things that you do to verify. But people aren't educated in those things, you know. Passwords. Mm, I know. Well, they, it sounds like they're going to need to be. Um, it, it's a it's it is a brave new world of AI that we are entering. There's no question about it. The thing is that it's not all bad, and there's some amazing good that can come from this. I mean, you mentioned that the neural the neural link interface. If you've lost an arm, if you're a, you know you've you've you you can you know to to have your arm restored or to be able to walk again um, and have your legs controlled by your mind. You know, I mean, those are incredible advantages. They're incredible breakthroughs. The prospects for for streamlining overworked and, and, and stretched medical systems, which we have at the moment. I mean, we have a, we have a, 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 a health system in Victoria and, and other parts of Australia, which is really under pressure. And to be able to improve telemedicine, which is, you know, people are working from home more, people want to work from home more. If you're, if you're living outside the, the big population centres, you don't have access to the big hospitals and all the technology and goodies that they have, then to do things remotely and to do things with the benefit of, of AI is, is hugely advantageous. There's a, there's a recent article I came across about using a Google-created medical AI model, which is called MedPalm2. The model scored an impressive 86.5% on questions styled along the lines of the US medical licensing examination that's used for med students. 
Some of the uh, the doctors or people who were reviewing the results said that there were areas where that the AI performed better than humans. This is not actually all that new. Mm. It's new using AI, but even back in uh, the 80s, late 80s, maybe 90s, they were using, what did they call it? Uh, expert systems. Remember the term expert systems? And they were using expert systems to interview people coming into doctors for doctor's appointments to you know doctor's surgery for appointments and the expert systems were performing much better Mm. than the doctors just based on you know very very simple algorithms so the ai um you know based on huge amounts of data and this is the yeah, and this is this is a this is a bit of something which you and I touched on when we were talking about this earlier. Another medical thing that's been done, which I it may have used a bit of AI, but when people go to uh, eye doctors and and uh, ophthalmologists, they often do uh, retinal scans. Now, retinal scans is a, is a bio um, it's a biomarker, in other words, so it's like a fingerprint. It's it's a unique thing that can be used to identify an individual and in fact I've when I've, I've gone into Japan and and they have um, retinal scans so they use them at airports they use them at immigration when you get when you enter countries uh, in some parts of the world but what they also what they've done in America this was a few years ago they they uh, they had hundreds of thousands of these scans and the retina also can show well the eye can also give you uh, information about predisposition towards various diseases they call it the window to the soul, but it's also the window to your health. And so by creating these big databases of eyes and then, and then programming software to analyze them, they can collate information about predispositions to certain diseases. And then they can say to you, okay, well, based on this information we've got from your eye, you need to be careful about cholesterol. You need to do this or that. You need to take this preventative drug or you know, do this to prevent yourself from having this problem. Um, and, and so this is something that's been around for a while. And, and I guess what it's, what it's leading me to ask you is we've had search engines which use very sophisticated uh, algorithms to give us these incredible search results and anticipate, you know, almost to read the minds of the world. You know, one of the, a great interview with one of the founders of Google when they first got, got that really good algorithm going. And, and Google wasn't the first search engine, but when they got going, they took over because their algorithms were better. Those two mathematicians. Oh, there were many, many. Yes, Do you yes, remember yep, yep. Lycos, Alta Vista, Yahoo, yep, Smart, Jeeves, yep, Metacrawler. Alta Vista. Yeah, the founders of Google were saying that when they first started, when they first got going and they started getting hundreds of millions of hits, they, they, the feeling that they had was it was like reading the world's minds, people, the masses' mind, because they could see if, if there was something that happened live on, on TV, say a sporting event, and a controversial referee call on a, on a, you know, a, a slow-mo replay of, of a score or a touchdown or something, you could see in real time people searching something related and they could see the way people were thinking on mass so there's search and then there's that you know what i mentioned the example of 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 collating information about people's eyes and using that for sort of broader medical purposes so what i'm asking you in is what's different between all those things and ai i mean chat gpt is 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 a language breakthrough but what's behind it is, is effectively trawling the internet, get, gathering all the data, using the likes of search engine technology to collate it and then use the 
use this advance in language skills to collate it and put it into a very well-worded and read- readable and, and, and comprehensible um, text. So, so what's the big breakthrough? I mean, essentially, AI is using, ChatGPT is using search, really, but, but, but with enhanced language I, skills at well, the end of it. I think it, it isn't just AI, right? Well, it is AI, but it's, and it's different. But it has a whole history of other little things behind it that built up and built up over time. This one used a whole lot of data from the internet and was the first one that made an interface that made you feel like you could talk to it. I don't know if you saw the Four Corners interview, Four Corners episode where the guy had a, had basically his wife being carried around all the time. Um, it was a doll mm. with a computer in it. And he got real, he got, he, you know, he had trouble with intimacy and he got real solace from this, this computer, mm. which was just running AI. So there, when they talked about this thing, this kind of systems that could make you think they're human back in, at the time of the second world war, Alan Turing, mm. whose name pops up all the time, devised what he called the Turing test which, by the way, is the origin of the name of the movie. Yeah, which is a great movie. Imitation Game. Not, not something else. It's, it, was, it was this test that if a computer could imitate a human to the point where the human thought it was, was conscious, then it was conscious. Now, we can, we can argue and we can kick around whether it's conscious or not, but um, that was his test. And I bet you, well, there are already people talking as if it's conscious. Remember in Blade Runner when, you know, the, the job of Decker was to find out whether replicants were humans or not. And he had, and he had a sort of a 30-point questionnaire where he probed them and asked them sort of emotive questions about their childhood and stuff and see if they squirmed. And if they squirmed in the wrong way, he pulled out his huge gun and blew them away, you know? <laughs> well, and, and at the end of the movie... There was some question yes. about whether Yeah, well, he, he wound up... I think he, he married a replicant. It's really nice. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Nice little and, plot twist, yeah. And in fact, you know, this is really an interesting area. And I don't want to sound like a mad scientist, but it's very, very exciting. Um, you know, how can we move towards actual consciousness? What is it? Maybe we can solve the problem of what it is, you know? Um, I don't know what it is, and I defy anybody mm. to say they really do. But, you know, so we don't even know what it is in the first place, whether to, to ask whether or not it truly is conscious seems like... You mentioned the guy, you mentioned the guy just, just quickly but jumping in, you mentioned the guy who, who carried around his wife, who, you know, he was socially challenged and he had a wife who created solace for him and she was AI generating. Um, there's a film called uh, Her, which you might have seen, H-E-R. His sort of digital girlfriend is, is Siri or an equivalent. Careful exactly. saying that name. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> sorry to everybody out there in in Radio Land. Yeah, we probably just activated. Yeah, I think the machine. response I just yeah. got was, "I didn't get that. Could you try again?" <laughs> <laughs> now we were talking about movies and how this is. You know, there was the replicants and the idea of, of trying to deter, d- distinguish yeah. between real and fake, art imitating life or life imitating art, whichever way to look at it. The concern I have is that not only could it be very very like humans 
it could be better. That's another concern, really. Mm. Um, how much better and mm. how understandable are they, you know, as per the um, singularity mm. um, of Ray Kurzweil. But that they can replace us. That there's a lot of jobs. So journalists uh, like you, academics like me, um, a lot of jobs, you know, all those kind of jobs that were safe because they were white collar. They're talking about maybe 90% of jobs becoming redundant, mm. 80 to 90. Maybe we need to rethink what life is for. Is it for working for 40 years yeah. to pay the bank? You know, to get, um, it's a real, there's a social yep. problem at the end of this that mm. I hope that we solve. Now, I'm not a great lover of Bill Gates for all sorts of reasons, but he does talk about uh, what's he called living wage. Um, I don't I, look. I don't know. Is that the solution? I think it may be. Maybe we start judging people by their competition in artistic mm. forms or in other ways. But certainly, uh, the economic value of a human is becoming absolutely. Much, much and this less is one of the disturbing things that I've come across in the reading for this discussion today. Is the, you know, you talked about how the business, how companies like Google and 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 Microsoft and and all these there's tech startups, there's um, there's venture capitalists who are who are climbing over each other to fund the the big breakthroughs. Or and and the objective of a lot of these startups or big companies that already exist is how can we get rid of human labour and replace it with AI? Literally, that's it because that's the thing you can sell. You can sell that to a company. Bizarre, isn't it? You can say, okay, well, you've got a pool of 20 accountants. Well, how about if we, we give you software which allows you to have one accountant or no accountant? You know, it's it's that what that's the saving to your bottom line. That's a hugely attractive thing for for companies. But it's as you say, it's it's got it's got yeah, consequences yeah. for people all over the world. And and you know, I mean, one one thing is that maybe blue collar workers are the safest people for now because their their work is still going to be needed. You can't. It's harder to replace physical labour. Well, those Boston Dynamics, they they have Boston Dynamics robots that can yeah yeah take things off shelves and. You know, I've walk over rolling things. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, amazing. And they can work 24 hours without a break, you know. Another big thing, Ian, is that's, that's been coming up recently is so, so, the, so the source of the AI information. So if you're using AI, if you're using ChatGPT, for example, the, the system is going out and gathering data from the internet from stuff that's been posted in scientific papers or in, in on newspaper articles or in, in chat rooms or, or social media or whatever it is. And the owners of the copyright of those, say, say for example, news sources, are saying there's actually a, a big legal thing that's brewing right now. And one of the plaintiffs is News Corporation saying, if you're gonna if you're gonna base your AI results on information that you mine from our websites, then you're gonna have to pay <laughs> you're gonna have to pay for it. It's copyrighted information, and 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 it's fair enough. I mean, if you've paid journalists to create this stuff, and I mean we're we're already down the path of eliminating journalists because 
of you know newspapers don't exist in the way that they used to journalism has changed so much that's true well before ai the music industry's changed so much and yet it's being tapped into by it tapped by ai so ai can go out and compose it can listen to stuff that's freely readily available through spotify or uh, now that you mention this i've been interested in the use of pitch correction oh, there's a device mm-hmm. has a name auto-tune apparently almost all singers are using it in fact even singers with really with obviously really great voices natural voices unbeknownst to them because they you know they just sing at at a concert get it recorded and then everything else goes you know all of the packaging up the the thumbnail on the on the the thing and all of the recording and you know that's all done by other people and one of those people can be the producer who decides to auto-tune it and turn it into what sounds sterile and kind of too perfect but a lot of singers are relying on it because they're so bad most of the singers are relying on it because it's so bad and AI is now being used to add more natural kind of like vibrato at the end of a note. Mm. They're adding the vibrato at the end um, and making it mm. sound a little bit more natural. They're asking, well, why have so a singer the in thing. the first I mean, You just said, we said before that, that, you know, there's a big threat to jobs and, you know, what is the future of work? So, so one area that might be okay for now, uh, for the foreseeable future, is, is blue-collar work and physical labour. I mean, but then there's also robots that can work in warehouses and move boxes around. But if you're a plumber or if you're an electrician or, you know, if you're doing sort of stuff that going to people's houses, hard to see how that would be taken over by an AI robot that quickly or very soon. But if then you say, okay, well, then you're going to have to move into the creative area because that's where humans are unique and you can't, you can't replace that you can't doesn't matter how good the ai is the problem is that as we've just said with with music you can you can program the ai and there are there are artists there are human musicians if you call them that who are drawing on ai to to create music and they're selling that music but it's not their music it's it's the ai went out and listened to other humans music and collated it all and spat out something new and then that person used that as a starting point to create their own music. It's the same with journalism where, you know, you can yeah. ask, if I want to write a summary for a podcast that I'm about to post. I've did this and I and I and I fessed up to it. But you know, the AI came, I said a description for a podcast. It wrote something, then I used that as the starting point. So it gets the writer around that classic problem of the blank page. Yeah. It it that that's true. That's true. But when it comes to music, a friend of well, I'll use music as my example. A friend of mine was talking about, well, people will want to want to hear the real musician. They'll they'll be wanting to go out, um, and you know, go to go to gigs and things. I really felt like a lot of times I go out and listen to music, and it isn't as rewarding as sitting back and listening to a great musician. You know, some of the greatest musicians mm. just in my lounge room. But the thing about music is that it's it takes human beings a whole lifetime and most of us never get it to be able to adjust to the 12 note system that we've got in the west in the east they have a 22 note system what about people with good ears training good ai 
to do music that busts free of the 12 note system and somehow gives us whole new tonalities, modalities that are really mm. engaging, better than what a human could do mm. in one lifetime. I'd be super interested in hearing mm. that. So maybe, you know, we're hanging on to something human produced for no reason, just like in, in other areas. It's yep. worrying. It's really worrying. Yep. It's a brave new world of AI that is dawning upon us. Need to come back to sort of positive sides to it. And so one of the things that, that we came across in, in researching this, and I think I shared it with you earlier, was when we had those big bushfires, there's been a program launched called Eyes on Recovery. It's a Google-supported collaboration between WWF, that's World Worldwide Fund for Nature, I think, Australia, WWF, US, and Conservation International, and a range of on-the-ground land managers and research groups with 1,100 cameras, more than 1,100 cameras installed in eight fire-affected regions across four states, Queensland, New South Wales, Victoria, South Australia. Collectively, more than 7 million images have been processed using wildlife insights and more than 150 species have been recorded across the project. That's a platform powered by AI models developed at Google. And it identifies species and tracks wildlife recovery over time. So, you know, just a, just a good example of where AI can help and, and do a lot of good. So it's not all bad. There's lots of good. But I suppose the biggest concern is accountability, security, and displacement of, of jobs. Those would be the big things that concern me at this stage from what little I know about it. Yes. Yeah, mm. I think that's a pretty good sum up. Yeah. Well, Ian, we've been going for about an hour. Uh, any closing remarks you'd like to make about this? The future of it? I'll have to see that movie, Her. Yep. I haven't seen it. The closing remark would be the same as the opening remark, and that is that this is the first iteration. This is by no means as subtle as it could be. It's really just analysis of text. Um, so there are, there are other things around the corner. They're exciting. They're technology, perhaps, which we should embrace but the political consequences we should feel. And that actually is um, not a bad point to end on. Both sides of US politics are in the process of supporting and developing a, the framework for creating a government agency to regulate AI. Apparently the European Union is working on a final draft of its own AI Act. And part of this is it, it's, it, it'll be to assign responsibility uh, and accountability but also to try to ensure that AI doesn't mess with election outcomes and create the controversies we've had in the last decade or so, where you know we had the stories about Facebook being being uh, hijacked to influence swinging voters on a sort of automated and mass level, you know, fifty thousand tailored ads targeting swinging voters and influencing election outcomes or or referenda brexit for example was a very very close vote to leave the eu for, for britain and one that looks in hindsight like a pretty bad move for, for in terms of the economic outcomes for for the average brit and yet that was apparently the, the story is that that was um, manipulated the votes were manipulated by computers by the companies like cambridge analytica that specialised in mining data and targeting swinging voters, changing people's minds using social media. Where could AI lead us 
in a similar way with coming elections that we've got. So there's lots of things we've got to be careful about with AI, but also things to be excited about. I guess propaganda techniques have been been around for a very long time. I, I worry about legislation that gets too heavily into protecting us from ourselves, mm-hmm. if you know what I mean. Um, I think we, we need to maintain freedom of expression. There definitely are dangers from AI, from the too liberal use of it. All right, well, look, let's leave it at that. But thank you very much, Ian, for your time today. Ian Story, lecturer in information systems at, at the University of Torrens and a regular contributor to Beyond Infinity over the years. There's some great stuff that he's talked about. I mean, imagine you talked about quantum computing a while ago with me. That's pr- progressing in leaps and bounds. The same players. Uh, Google's a big player in quantum developing quantum computers. Uh, Australia's into it. Microsoft's into it. Uh, governments are into it because of military applications, because of implications for encryption. You know, imagine something like ChatGPT powered by a quantum computer. The uh, possibilities of this kind of technology are amazing. Absolutely. Thanks very much, Piers. Thoroughly enjoyed this conversation. Thank you. Beyond Infinity, Infinity.